again in the name of our wonderful Savior, the one who left heaven's glory to redeem us out of the bondage of sin. <clears throat> There's something that's been on my mind the last few weeks, and I don't want to give a wrong impression that sometimes you don't use. You hold back from saying something because you may be misunderstood. But I have a, a real concern for this ministry, for your pastors. I simply want to encourage you to diligently pray for your pastors. <clears throat> As the pastors go, and I'm not suggesting that they're going off. This is why I hesitate. Oh, do you see something? I know somebody would come up to me and ask me. Let me share just something with you. And I've shared this with some of you. In 1878, Arno Gabeline at 18 left Germany, came to the United States. He was a believer. One of the reasons he came was to avoid compulsory military training. He landed in Lawrence, Massachusetts, and he found some fervent Christians. I think it was in the mill. I'm not sure. Anyways, he became a Methodist minister. There were, at that time, there were four German churches in Lawrence. There was a German Catholic, Lutheran, Presbyterian, and a Methodist. He became a Methodist minister. So I am assuming that he attended, while he was in Lawrence, the German Vine Street Methodist Episcopal Church. He doesn't say that in his autobiography. In fact, I have his autobiography, and my grandmother's name is written in, that, in the front of that book. My grandmother had that book. He says Methodism was Christianity in earnest. This was in the late 1800s. When I came along, I was born in 1931. There was nothing left. Nothing. I never heard the gospel. Never. I had saved relatives. My father, I, I, I say this with grief. My father was a believer. I never heard the gospel. And all the years in the Vine Street Methodist Church, I never heard a word, far as I know, from the book of Romans. This is why I'm saying, pray for your pastors. As the pastors go, so goes the church. We are in uh, Second Peter. Again, 
I want you to keep in mind, as I mentioned, what Peter went through as he walked with the Lord Jesus, his failures, and so forth, because that influenced, I believe, his writings. And also, I want you to see the heart of Peter. Peter had a great concern for the believer. Beginning in verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things, that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Besides this giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For of these things, if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for this portion of your word. I pray, Father, again that we would have ears to hear, a heart to believe. I do pray that our Lord Jesus Christ might be lifted up. Every heart in this room saved and unsaved, might be drawn to him, in whose name I pray. Amen. As you notice in your bulletin, I've entitled my message, Building with Eternity in View. Our purpose, or the purpose for this message, is to build our faith or build upon our faith the very life of God. I don't know if you do much building. I like to build. It brings much satisfaction. I don't know if they still sell them anymore, but when I was a boy, they would... You could buy an erector set. Do they still sell them? They, they say, okay. So, 
you know, a kid has got all of these things and he can start to build whatever his mind imagines. And then he can run to dad. Hey, dad, look what I made. He's excited. When, uh, when we came back to the States last September, I had thought we had sold our table, our dining table, found out we still had it. But anyway, so I said, well, I'm going to build a dining room table. So I did. And I got a certain amount of satisfaction in building a table. Our text is called upon to build a life that pleases God and brings glory to his name. That is where satisfaction is going to come in your life as a believer. Everything else is simply going to disappear. Let me just remind you of a few things I said last week. When Peter opens this letter, he says, Simon Peter, a servant, reminds you again, we must be a servant before anything else. We cannot truly serve the Lord Jesus Christ unless we have a servant's heart. In verse 2, he says, grace and peace be multiplied. We we positionally, we have received all of God's grace, the positional truth. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings, but we need grace for living. And notice he said it is multiplied, what? Through the knowledge, and that is the full knowledge. It's epigenosis, the full knowledge of God, the experiential knowledge. It is multiplied. Problem with so many of us, we do not have the knowledge, therefore we, we do not know the grace that is available to us in the time of our need. And then getting to our text that we want to look at, I want you to note we are fully equipped to build. Now, when I built that table, it was a good thing I had the equipment. A table saw, I have a chop saw, I have a planer, I have a router, and so on. And I have a little uh, device whereby I could drill the holes exactly where I wanted them to put the dowels in so that when I glued the pieces together, they would all the dowels would fit. I want you to note very carefully, his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He has fully equipped us to live a godly life. We cannot make excuses. We can't. Because we have everything that we need to live a godly life.
Now notice the source of that. Again, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Paul, uh, Peter emphasizes knowledge. You'll notice that in here three times, I believe, he mentions knowledge. And then when he closes his epistles, he said, Grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm not going to share with you all the things that he has given to us. Because if I give you a lot of things, you probably won't remember any. But if I focus on one thing, you probably, at least I hope, you remember. Let's turn to Romans chapter five, uh, chapter 6. When I was uh, newly saved... And I was working for Colombo, Colombo Yogurt. It was then in Andover. And I was having breakfast at 7 o'clock. And I would turn on the radio, listen to Back to the Bible broadcast. And Theodore Epp preached a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday on that program. And I remember today him preaching on this text. And he left me with three words, and I'm going to leave them with you. But going uh, back to ch uh, chapter 5 and verse 20, it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Why did God give the law? That the offense might abound, that sin might become very sinful in the eyes of the sinner. I want to say this also concerning the Old Testament. Remember, the law was added alongside of the promise in Galatians. You have the promise, try to think, the promise is up here. The promise or the covenants that God made. You draw a line down, here's the law of Moses. It was added alongside of it did not annul the promise. The failure of the children of Israel. They forgot to put their faith in the promises of God. And they thought they could be made righteous by keeping the law. It was never intended to do that. We better understand what, what, what Paul writes here in the book of Romans. And what he writes in Galatians concerning the law. Where sin abounded, grace, both Old and New Testament, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned through death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin reigned. 
grace. You see, before I was saved, I was a wretched man. Sin was reigning in my life. I didn't have a choice. When I got saved, when you got saved, sin is no longer reigning. Grace, the grace of God is now reigning in the life. That's what makes the difference. That's why the very night I got saved and I couldn't have told you I was saved, I said, that's no more for me concerning the beer. That's why he said it. Because God's grace was now reigning in my life. Now verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound? And some, you know, the Spirit of God anticipates what people would say. Well, if... if if where sin abounds, grace does more abound, well, why not keep on sinning? He says, God forbid, how shall we that are what? Dead to sin. Live any longer therein. We died to the rule and the reign of sin in our lives. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? There's a wonderful thing happened. We didn't even know it. Didn't feel it. The moment that you accepted Jesus Christ, you were baptized into Christ. Into his death. You died with him. You were buried with him. Verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him. By baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead. By the glory of the father. Even so we also should walk in newness of life. We have the very resurrection life of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an absolutely marvelous and wonderful truth. We died. We're raised to newness of life. Three words I want to leave with you. In verse 6, I want you to know something. Knowing this, and I would... I would suggest you underline that, knowing this, that our old man was crucified, is, was, or has been, I'm not, I forget the Greek in there, but it's crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now this does not teach us that the old nature has been eradicated. You learn very soon you still have the old nature. And if Paul tells us that we're to put off the old man, we must still have him. Simply this, its power has been broken. 
Knowing this, that the, our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed or annulled, that henceforth we should not serve sin. I know there are some who teach that it's been eradicated. <clears throat> but I want you to know this. The old man was crucified with him. The body of sin was destroyed. Its power was broken. Verse 11. Reckon. No, reckon. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Unto the principle, the indwelling sin. Why is it? That sin no longer has the attraction that it once had. I used to brag about my sin. One of the reasons I drank is because I wanted to prove that I was a man and I could handle it. See? No more. Reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I have to reckon it, count it as a fact. And thirdly, our responsibility is neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. We are to yield ourselves. It's the same word in, in uh, chapter 12, we to present our bodies a living sacrifice. No, reckon, yield. If we do that, sin will not or shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. God expects us to have victory over sin in our life. Back in 2 Peter, in verse 4, he tells us that we are partakers of the divine nature. We have the very nature of God. What is the nature of God? God is holy. God is just. God is right. If we have that nature, that nature should be expressed in our lives. We are a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 3, we are the epistles of Christ. Written on the fleshy tables of the heart. God's law is written on the very fleshy tables of our heart. 
He has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And so he says in verse 5, giving all diligence. The Christian life requires diligence. It doesn't happen automatically. We must give diligence. You know, it does my heart good. I see a young person, Chris's daughter. I don't know how old she is. I don't know, 14, whatever. It doesn't matter. Playing beautifully the piano. How did it come about? Oh, it just happened. <laughs> I know her parents had to get after her a bit to practice. But it came through diligence. If you're going to be successful in school, it requires diligence. It is something I was not taught when I was growing up. When I graduated, of course, I wouldn't have said it then, but I say it now, Lordy, how come? See. If we are to succeed in life, we have to learn to be diligent. And I would encourage you parents, as you're bringing up your children, teach them diligence. It doesn't come naturally. It has to be taught. Giving all diligence. Add or build upon your faith. You've come to Christ. You've received him as your personal savior. That's the beginning. Now there's a lot of work ahead. But I do want to remind you before we get into it. And we read part of it in, in Philippians. But I, I want to read three verses. I want to remind you that this working is in cooperation with Jesus Christ. It is not simply self-effort. In Philippians 1.6, He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He is working in you. Now, because he's working in you, in Philippians 2.12, work out what he's working in you. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And then in John 15, 5, Jesus said, He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Without me ye can do nothing. If you're going to add to your faith, you must do it in his strength, in his power. 
So he gives us this list. We cannot do justice with this list this morning. But just to uh, refresh your minds concerning this list. He said, besides this, giving all diligence. Add to your faith, first of all, virtue or moral excellence. Please turn to Colossians chapter 3. You have a similar passage in, in Ephesians also. But notice what he tells us to do. Verse 5, chapter 3. Mortify, put to death, therefore, your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now... He also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And dropping down to verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye, and so on. Virtue, put on virtue, moral excellence. Put on the very life of Jesus Christ. Secondly, he says, and to your virtue, knowledge. I want to recommend a book to you. It's a very small book. I'm sure you can get it from a uh, place down there in Beverly, you know. <laughs> the Knowledge of the Holy by Tozer, an excellent, excellent book. My feeling is this, the great lack in the church of Jesus Christ is, a, is the knowledge of God. We are told in Psalm 100, know ye that the Lord, he is God, it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. The problem with the nation of Israel is they did not know their God. The problem with the church today is they do not know the God whom they serve and that's why the church is going where it's going. There's only one way to stop it if it's going to be stopped and that's to know who he is. The third thing he mentions is temperance. Self-control. 
There's one place that we need control above everything else, and that's with this little thing in our mouth. Remember what James says about the tongue? It's an unruly evil. It sets on course, and it, it sets things on fire. Boy, I did I see that in Germany. Believers railing at each other, destroying each other. We need to be very careful how we use the tongue. Temperance, self-control, patience, bearing up under the trials of life. Several weeks ago, somebody was here preaching. Pastor Dan's son preached on James chapter 1. Count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That's why God puts us through trials, because that's the only way patience can be developed. God still has a lot of work to do in my life. When I'm doing something and things don't go right. I've been working on the, my sister's house and doing things. And boy, when you have to repair something and, you know, things just don't go right. And I find I have a little problem with patience. From, to your patience... Add godliness or piety towards God. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 2, it says of Cornelius, he was a devout man and he feared God. He was a man of piety. If you want to be a pious person, spend some time in the, in, in, uh, in the Psalms and see how pious David was. Godliness. So needed again in the church of Jesus Christ. And there are churches where they take God for granted. They, <clears throat> I, I shared this. I, I wasn't there. My wife was there. This church. And there was a group there, it was a rock group, and she told me, they said, hey, you up there. That's how they address God. Folks, I would be afraid that God would strike me dead. We need to treat him with great reverence. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And oh, how, how brothers in Christ can be so unkind to one another. I don't understand it. It brought to my, to my mind David and Jonathan. And how they loved one another. And David, after Jonathan died, he said that the love that they had was greater 
than the love for a woman or for his wife. That's the kind of love that needs to be expressed one towards another. Oh, we do so much damage in the body of Christ because we do not love. And lastly, he says charity or love. And you know the definition. We don't have time. I could go into 1 Corinthians 13, but just quoting from John's epistle, first epistle, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's love. Are we willing to lay down our lives? Foundation. I mean, faith is the foundation. Love is the capstone. If you add all of these things on, then you will be well-dressed. Want to be well-dressed? Add these things to your faith. Now notice what he said. He gives here four results of adding these things to your faith. First of all, if these things be in you and abound, they make that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you will be a fruitful Christian. If these things are in your life. Secondly, wherefore, verse 10. Uh, let, me, let me read verse 9. He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. If you put these things on, you will make your calling and election sure. You will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are saved. It is the life that you live that gives you the assurance. How do I know I'm saved? Because Jesus Christ changed my life. That's how I know. It's not simply, a, simply taking a verse. We know it because we bear fruit. The third thing that he says, if ye do these things, Ye shall never fall. What was Peter's concern? Why did he write this? He was afraid of the Christians. That the false teachers would make merchandise of them. If these things be in you, you will never fall for the false teaching. If you know, if you experience in the genuine, you will never fall for the faults. 
And it again is amazing to me how Christians will run after this thing or that thing. And they think they've found it. When they've had it all the time, if you have Jesus Christ, you have everything. That's all you need is Jesus Christ. The fourth thing that he mentions in verse 11. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice, if you add these things to your faith, you will have an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is why I have entitled the message, Building with Eternity in view. We must keep our focus on eternity. In uh, Hebrews chapter, chapter 11, you'll note that the Old Testament believers, they kept their focus on eternity. It says in, in verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Why did he do it? For he looked for a city. He looked for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. In verse 13, it says this, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. What kept them? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You see, they kept their eyes on king territory. They kept their eyes on eternity. There is a, I, I, I won't sing it. There is a song, I know some of you are going through deep waters. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life trials will seem so small when we see Christ. I want you to encourage you. I know it's difficult. But it will be worth it all. I'd like to close. I want to return... Uh, refer to Ezekiel. I went through Ezekiel this week. I just want to share this here. There may be some in here that have never trusted Christ as their Savior. I want to share something with you. In chapter 18 of Ezekiel, it says this, in verse 20, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. 
The wages of sin is death. Make no mistake about it. We're not talking simply physical death. We're talking spiritual death. But he says in verse 21, But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed, and keep all my statutes, that, and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Now, let, let me say this. There is none that seeketh after God. God does the seeking. And when he seeks and you turn to him from your wickedness, you shall live and not die. Verse 22, all his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. And he says, have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? Does God delight in it? No. He doesn't delight in it. And not that he should return from his ways and live. In verse 32 he says, I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live. By faith, I would encourage you to turn to him. He will give you new life. He will save your soul. And you will walk in his ways. In chapter 9, He's talking to the nation of Israel. I want you to know what he says to his people. Verse 10. Because they would not return turn to him by faith. Judgment was coming. And notice what he says. And as for me also, my, mine eye shall not spare. Neither will I have pity. But I will recompense their way upon their head. And that's what God will do with everyone who does not turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. He will have no pity. His eye will not spare. That's solemn truth. But he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Will you come? Father, we thank you for your word. And I'm so thankful that the Spirit of God is faithful. Your word will not return unto you void. It will accomplish that which you please. And for that I give thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.